While You Were Folding, Episode 10, Charisms with Angie Newman. Hi, I'm Katherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. Most importantly, it's a great excuse to connect with and learn from like-minded women who are committed to beginning again each day. I won't pretend to be an expert, but I will ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father of mercy, thank you for the gift of another week, for the gift of fresh starts and new beginnings. Please help us to continue to run to you, to embrace you, to learn about how much you love us, and to continue to be open to that love. We ask you, especially this week, to help us as we learn about our unique gifts that you gave us at baptism the gifts that we call our charisms, to help us to not only learn about what our gifts are, but to embrace us for how you made us and to learn how you want us to fulfill the purpose that you made us for and to learn how to live out our lives by using those gifts as best we can. We ask this through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of While You Are Folding. I cannot believe I am recording episode 10. Uh, This has been such a fun hobby, and I'm absolutely loving it. And I am just thrilled to see how much this podcast community has already grown through all of the emails that I've been receiving and the number of downloads that we have. The last time I checked, we had listeners in 43 different states and in 14 countries. And I'm so grateful to all of you for continuing to share the show with your friends and for giving me all the feedback that you've shared with me. Um, Going forward, if you do send me an email, please let me know if you would like me to share your feedback on the podcast or if you'd like me to keep that private. That way I know what I should do with it. But um, Thank you so much, all of you who have reached out and have shared the episodes that are really speaking to you and the book recommendations that you keep sharing with me. Book recommendations are my love language, so please keep those coming. They're awesome. Um, I got a lot of big feedback from last week talking about my reading life and all of the great books that I've been reading lately. But uh, this week, I thought I would do a quick recap of what's new in our neck of the woods. So last week, I asked for prayers because Jane was going to be receiving her first confession, and we had to postpone it due to weather. But last Wednesday was a big day of celebration for our family because not only was that the day that Jane was going to receive her first confession after school, but it was also Philip's birthday. 
So I'm going to have Jane come on the podcast, hopefully next week to share a little bit about that experience and what that was like. And as a parent, I can only say that it was really overwhelming emotionally to watch her be all shiny and new. And I know that Jane is very excited to talk about that. And we got to celebrate Philip's birthday that night. So that was awesome. And later in the week, Jane got to have a belated birthday celebration. So Jane has a February birthday, but unfortunately we have had a whole lot of illness or Philip has been working on the weekends for the last several weeks. It's either been someone's been really sick or Philip was working. And so we had not been able to celebrate Jane's birthday with her friends And instead of doing a traditional birthday party this year, Jane decided since her birthday is near Valentine's Day, her birthday is on February 11th, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Lords. Um, And since her birthday is so near Valentine's Day, Jane decided she wanted to have a special day with one friend and call it Galentine's Day. And so she invited her sweet neighbor friend from just a couple doors away to join Jane and myself. And I told Jane that we could have the entire afternoon to ourselves and she could decide what the agenda was. So Jane is a girl after my own heart. She just turned eight years old and she decided that with her friend, she wanted to spend the afternoon starting things off by going and getting Chinese food. And then after Chinese food, she wanted to go ice skating. This was the first time that she had ever gone ice skating. And the girls were absolutely adorable at the restaurant. They had so much fun. And I was expecting them to be a little bit maybe timid and not have very much to say, but they had no problems whatsoever filling the silence. And... It was just so cute to watch them get to know one another better and to get to get all caught up because they don't go to school together. So it was special for Jane to get to have all of this time with her neighbor friend. And then we went ice skating. And like I said, it was Jane's first time going ice skating. And I just loved her attitude about the whole thing. I, um actually took ice skating lessons when I was younger and I got to get my ice skates out from junior high and they are so old and they are getting rust on them. I need to go get them sharpened. But I was able to help Jane out, get her skates all laced up, get her friend's skates all laced up and then go out to the ice. And those of you who have been ice skating recently, maybe your local ice skating rink has this too. They have these great I don't even know what the official term for these things are called, but they're like pushers. They're these metal contraptions that have rubber stoppers on the bottom. And then they have a little spot between the two bars that you hold on to with your hands. It's like a rubber pool noodle type material so that if you do fall, you don't get hurt by hitting the metal. But it's a way for you to be able to push your weight forward while you're learning how to skate and not have to balance on your own. So Jane would do those for a little bit. And I taught her right away because I used to teach little kids how to ice skate. I taught her and her friend how to fall properly. And I kept telling Jane, 
you know, once you fall for the first time, that's always the worst part. And once you learn how to fall and you've actually fallen and you hit the ice, once you get that over with, you won't be afraid of it anymore. And so just a couple minutes into teaching her how to march on the ice and put her arms out, she did fall, but she did not care at all. She got right back up and she was not fast. She was doing exactly what everyone always does the first time on the ice. She was taking it slow and she fell over and over and over again, but she had a smile on her face the whole time and she was having the time of her life. And she was just happy because her friend was at her side or a couple of paces away. And they both had a great time. And unfortunately, the free skate ended earlier than we thought it would. So the good news is the girls left still smiling. No one had any major injuries or problems with ice skating. And they both said they want to go back again sometime soon. So the former figure skater in me is absolutely thrilled and... My uh, my maiden name is actually Wit. <laughs> so growing up, my name was Catherine Wit. And those of you who know the figure skating world know that there was a very famous German Olympian figure skater named Katarina Witt. And so that was always a f- nickname that my family and some of my friends had given me growing up. So it was fun to get to put the ice skates back on and be back out on the ice. It brought back a lot of memories. And more than anything, I was just so proud of Jane and her awesome attitude that she had about the whole thing. And then once we left the ice skating rink, we um, Jane decided she wanted to go to, to Barnes & Noble. She loves the bookstore. And so we had a little bit of a drive and we put on some of our favorite music in the car and the girls had a ball just singing the songs at the top of their lungs. And then we got to Barnes and Noble and the girls spent a little bit of time picking out a book for each of them. And then we went over to the cafe area and the girls each had a treat and talked about the books that they had picked out. And I let them have a little bit of space at this point. And I would go browse the books just down the aisle from where they were, where I could keep an eye on them and let them have some space and then check in every couple of minutes. Uh, But it is just so much fun as a mom. Jane's our oldest and to get to watch her have a friendship with a girl who is so sweet and they're still so young and innocent and we're not into the mean girls phase of life yet. And hopefully it doesn't come anytime soon, but, um, it's just really special to watch your child develop these good, awesome, uplifting friendships with other people and to watch these people come into their lives and to build them up and to hopefully watch your child build other kids up too. So it was a really fun afternoon. And at the end of it, Jane said, Mom, that was so much better than a party because I got to really talk with my friend and get to know her better. And we had so much fun. And this is what I want to do every year from now on. And Jane was talking the whole experience up so much 
that her brother Walt, our first grader, is now saying, oh, mom, this is what I want to do for my birthday. And his birthday is coming up in May. So (laughs) he's already plotting out everything that he wants to do for his birthday. So stay tuned on on that front. I would love to hear what you do with your kids to celebrate birthdays. How do you do it? Do you do a big birthday bash and you make it all Pinterest perfect? Um, if you do, I think you're awesome. That I don't think is my skill set. <laughs> and, and I'm thrilled that Jane opted instead for this one-on-one Galentine afternoon with a good friend. Um, but maybe you don't even do parties. Maybe you keep it small and simple and you just do something with your family. But I want to know what your birthday traditions are because I'm always looking for ways to make birthdays special, but without breaking the bank and to make it more about the memory. So get in touch. Give me your feedback on that. Email me about what you do for your kids' birthdays. The email address is podcast at katherineboucher.com. Other than that, I had one quick funny story that I <laughs> that I wanted to share. It uh, goes back to yesterday. That was Monday morning. Um, so Monday morning, I had done our grocery shopping, got everything unloaded, and it was nearing the time that I was going to have to go pick up Harry at preschool. And so I thought, well, I have a little bit more time. I'm going to really quick clean out the garage refrigerator because we still had all of last summer's beer in there. We're not huge beer drinkers, but we had a bunch left over and the garage refrigerator is mostly used for the extra produce and meat and milk and random beer bottles from the previous summer in there. So I wanted to get those cleared out and I went out there and I had brought out I triple bagged some uh, Target plastic bags and stuck some beer bottles in the bag. And there were probably eight or 10 beer bottles in this triple bagged Target bag. And my plan was to carry it into the kitchen, set the bag on the counter, and then open the bottles up so that I could pour them out before I put them in the recycling Well, (laughs) all went according to plan until I set the bag on the counter, but some of of the bottles were on their sides and something had distracted me. I don't know what had happened, but I had set the bag down and went to reach for something. And as I reached for something, the weight of the bag shifted and some of the bottles started to topple over. And you know how in movies when things start happening in slow motion... (laughs) Well, that's what happened to me. I look over at this bag of the bottles of beer and they start toppling over onto the kitchen tile floor and shatter at my feet. I think eight of the bottles shattered on the floor. And so little toddler Dorothy rounds the corner as she hears the commotion, runs in, and I tell her, no, 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 no. And I get the remote and I put on Elmo and I plop her down in front of the TV screen so that I can pick up the shards of glass from everywhere. And all of the liquid, it splashed up so much that I got it all over my pant legs and shoes and I reeked of beer. 
But that was the least of my concerns. I was just focused on picking up the glass, getting all the liquid up, and getting the sticky mess cleaned up. Well, by the time I got it all finished, it was time to leave for preschool pickup. We did not have another minute to spare, but it couldn't wait because I had to get all the glass picked up. So I had to rush, rush, rush to get to get me and Dorothy out the door to go pick up Harry. And I didn't have a chance to change my clothes. And it wasn't until we were next in line in the preschool pickup line that I realized I reek of alcohol. (laughs) And I was just hoping and praying that this was not going to be one of those preschool pickup days where the teacher had to have like the sidebar situation telling you what had happened that day and maybe how to work together to troubleshoot something. Fortunately, this was not one of those days. (laughs) We did not need to have a sidebar. It was a real quick, Harry hopped in the car, I can pull forward, buckle him in and move on with our day. But oh my goodness, (laughs) I was laughing so hard when I left just thinking, oh man, Harry's teacher, what would she think? she if she smelled the beer on me but anyway fortunately she did not child protective services was not contacted and we got to move on with our day and I got to have a good laugh in the process so that's about it on this end I had a great conversation with my guest Angie Newman she came on the podcast to talk about charisms And I first had a chance to hear Angie speak last summer at the Adele Gathering hosted by Jen Fulweiler and Hallie Lord. Angie did such a great job at the conference talking about charisms that I wanted to have her come on the show so that I could ask her all of the questions that I did not get to ask her last summer. And you are going to love listening to Angie. Not only did she share a whole bunch of wisdom and some really beautiful insights into what gifts God gives us and how we can best develop them and not self-sabotage, but just some general beautiful insights into the spiritual life. Angie is a native Minnesotan, and she currently works as a Catholic psychotherapist, spiritual director, and speaker. She was such a blast to talk to, and I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. Let's go ahead and get to it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we um, we come before you this day, and we, we're so aware of our own poverty and our own littleness, and so we cry out to you and just ask that you would um, infuse us with your Holy Spirit even stronger. Lord, we want more of you. We ask that every word be blessed, every listener be just um, filled to overflowing with a sense of your love for them. Um, ignite their charisms and let us uh, grow just in, in pure and holy love for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Angie, welcome to While You Were Folding. As I told you, I had the pleasure of getting to hear your talk at the Adele Gathering, but I didn't get to actually meet you. There were, I don't even remember how many hundreds of women at that event, but you gave such a wonderful talk, and I would love to have you speak to our listeners today about charisms. But before we jump into that, for those who maybe aren't familiar with your work or haven't heard you on the Jen Fulweiler show before, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's always a, a pleasure to 
to get to chat. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I am from the great state of Minnesota. It's currently, I think, negative five. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Nebraska, in so I understand. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I was born and raised here. I'm the youngest of four, cradle Catholic, and um, just really was privileged to grow up in a very beautiful and vibrant parish um, with perpetual adoration. So I really attribute that to what sparks my faith and then also really just continue to grow it, you know, all these years. And so I um, I went to the University of St. Thomas and studied philosophy and Catholic studies and then studied at the JP2 Institute in D.C., for master's in theology. And then um, in the meantime, I was doing youth ministry. So I was in youth ministry for about 10 years and, um, and then just really felt a call then just the need to provide sound, you know, like Christian Catholic uh, counseling, just the need for mental health uh, help, you know, so Mm -hmm. I, I got a master's in therapy and I'm currently working as a therapist and, um, I do spiritual direction and, you know, a few talks here and there on the side. So, wow. I had my previous guest on the last episode that I recorded was asking about how someone could find a spiritual director. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't even know what spiritual direction is. Could I put you on the spot and ask, how the average layperson could find out more about spiritual direction just to learn more about how it works. And then if someone's interested, how would they go about finding a spiritual director? Oh, I love it. It's such a great question. Um, Right. So spiritual direction is really, in some ways, it's similar to counseling, to therapy, in that you just sit down one-on-one with somebody who's ideally trained and Um, uh, Teresa of Avila, she says, when you're looking for a spiritual director, you should look for three traits. One, it should be someone of learning, so someone who's educated, and I would say that that doesn't need to be a formal degree. You know, it could be someone who's just really well-read, and she says also someone of experience, so you want somebody who, you know, has been around the block a few times um, with with spiritual things Mm -hmm. and life in general. And then she said, you also want someone um, intelligent. So those were her criteria for it. And she will say throughout her works how tremendously she benefited from from good guides and then also how much she was actually really um, kind of hurt through bad guidance. Mm-hmm. So she's someone who talks a lot about the importance of, of spiritual direction. So it's just sitting down with somebody and just having, you know, a conversation about what does your relationship look like with the Lord and what does your prayer life look like? Where are some of the stumbling blocks for you and what are some things that you could do to just kind of heal some of the wounds that we all have from life, you know? Um, and also, you know, discerning charisms can be a part of a spiritual direction, you know, discern God's will for our life, um, different, just navigating the different decisions that we all encounter, the big ones, the small ones, everything in between. So um, how you go about finding a spiritual director is first and foremost, you know, I would always say, just pray to the Blessed Mother. Just say, please, Blessed Mother, like, I really, I really want a spiritual director, you know, so can you help me out? Can you find me one? And I've also done, you know, um, novenas to St. Therese Lisieux. And so I think with Blessed Mother and Therese, it's a double threat, you know, and mm-hmm. I've always found really great ones through that. Mm-hmm. So um, oftentimes people think only of priests when they think spiritual direction. And um, I've certainly had some priests who are just fantastic spiritual directors. But there's also something that 
I think to be said for, you know, having a same gender spiritual director, especially when it comes to issues of sexuality, it's just a lot more comfortable (laughs) to talk to a woman, woman to woman, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but then also um, having someone in the same state of life as you. So having like a lay person to lay person, I think there's a lot of benefit there. Um, I've, I've had the blessing of, I've, I've moved around a lot. Um, and just even in the last 10, 12 years, so I've had different spiritual directors at each location and I've been blessed by, you know, like lay women to, to priests, to religious sisters or monks, you know, kind of, kind of the full gamut. And, um, I've been blessed by each one. So I don't think I would just encourage people to, to not kind of put a box on it. Like it needs to be a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how you go about finding one, like I said, first pray. And then, you know, you can like listen to homilies and see, or when you go to confession, if it feels like there's just a, like a pocket of grace there, every time you go, there's this wellspring, you know, in that conversation with that person, or as you listen to the homily, then that would be something just to, to pray about. And maybe if you just hear them in a homily, then go to confession, you know, and see how that goes. If you find that that's still beneficial, and then you can maybe call the the parish office if it's a priest and just see if they have time to set up an appointment um there are schools of spiritual direction so i attended the one out of clearwater florida they're the marian servants of our lady of divine providence i think you can tell how like authentically catholic a place is by how long (laughs) the name is (laughs) very orthodox Um, wow and yeah so it's um it's one of the programs. There's also in Kansas City, the Apostles of the Interior Life. Mm-hmm. And then out of Denver, there's the Lanteri Center. They're run by the OMB's Father Timothy Gallagher's order. So those three schools are, are three very solid, beautiful schools. And what you can do if you're looking for one is you could call up any of those three schools and just say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a spiritual director. I live in this city, in this state. You know, do you happen to have a list of graduates locally, you know? Mm-hmm. that I connect with. So that would be one option. Otherwise, you know, there's also over the phone spiritual direction. I would say it's certainly not ideal, you know, but I think it's better than nothing. And nowadays with Skype and with FaceTime and all of these things, you know, it's it makes it much more uh, feasible. Wow. I'm so glad I asked. I had no idea there were all of those resources available for those who wanted to do a little bit more research and dive deep and learn more right. about the person who they would be seeking out for spiritual direction. And I love what you had to say about trying not to put a box on it. Personally, I have a priest who is my spiritual director, and I have not spoken with anyone who has had a lay person as a spiritual director before to find out more about their experience and their formation. And so I'm glad to hear that person perspective on it and to find out about the schools so that those who are wanting to have good, solid formation from someone who they know has been trained from a good place can feel confident about that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I'm going to put that as a quick little bonus for people to listen to because that dovetails really nicely for people who are looking for a spiritual director. But today, I would love to talk about charisms. I think there's a lot of confusion and misconception overlap. We'll get a little bit into this later with maybe it's thinking of it more as a natural talent instead of what a charism truly is. So could you give a definition, a working definition for the average person? What is a charism? Anyway, what do we mean when we talk about charisms? 
Sure. Yeah. When when we talk about charisms, we're looking at first of all in the catechism, um, they they'll talk about charisms kind of briefly, and then Pope Francis he um, he also has a Wednesday audience on charism. So a quick Google search for either of those will pull it right up. But also there's um, a couple of lists in the New Testament which are not meant to be you know exhaustive, but you know the, there's just the scripture of to some are given the gift of wisdom, to others teaching, to others evangelizing, to others you know and there's this list. So when we think of a charism, what we mean by that, and Thomas Aquinas defines it in the Catechism as this gratuitous grace that we receive. And what we'll say is that we we receive it at baptism. So it is a charism is for those who are claimed by Christ, who are Christian. And um, it's just this supernatural way through which the Lord chooses to um, to use us to really, like Catherine of Siena, she said, you know, if you are who you are meant to be, you will set the world on fire. And so we all have unique ways in which the Lord has, cr- like, crafted us and created us to, to help set the world on fire. And so the charisms are the primary means through which he, um, he, he, he helps us to do that, or he kind of shows us how he wants us to do that. So the difference between a charism and a natural talent would be, for instance, um, well, first of all, with a charism, there's three signs that, you know, would indicate that is a charism. So one is our inner experience. When we're, when we're operating out of a charism, we feel energized, we feel enthusiastic, we feel like, oh, yes, like, this is it. Like, I've, I, this fits. This is me. This is who I am. You know, we feel like more us, more true to ourselves when we're operating out of charism. The second sign is that other people, they give us feedback. Oh my gosh, when you sing, you know, like my heart just was lifted up and I felt so drawn, like so, so closely, so intimately with the Lord. Or when you, you know, teach people about the faith, they just, they, they keep converting, you know, so there's a charism's effect what they're meant to. If you have a music charism, people are going to be drawn to Christ through the music. If you have a evangelism charism, it's going to work. You know, like I do not have an evangelization charism. Mm-hmm. And so people don't come up to me randomly and ask me all sorts of questions about the faith. You know, um, I don't get that. But somebody with a charism of evangelism, they can't kind of keep them away. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, they just can't. And then the third sign is that it's, like I said, it's effective. So charisms, they accomplish what they're meant to. So if you think you may have in evangelization charism, then a great way to discern it is to really put yourself um, in a place where you could, you could exercise it, you know, so go to the park and just strike up a conversation with somebody and see like how it goes, like if there, if it seems to go well, you know, it's, it sounds like maybe there's a there's a possible charism there. But if you know, like in my case, I'm just like fumbling over my words and I don't know what to say and I feel awkward and the poor soul seems very like they feel very awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's probably not a charism, which is fine and that's actually really beautiful because again, Aquinas he'll say negative knowledge is a great great thing. Mm. So knowing what you don't have can be just as, if not more important than knowing which charisms you do have. Oh, absolutely. I think it's so liberating to know what your your charisms are not, because then it frees you from the feeling of obligation or guilt that you're not doing those things, because God's not given them to you as something that comes naturally naturally as a gift that he's given you. So he's freeing you from the obligation of putting your time and talent there because 
he's not put it upon you in the first place. Right, exactly, exactly. Whereas like with a natural talent, you know, what we would expect to see is the results would be proportionate. So with natural talents or with acquired skills, we we see that the amount of effort we put into it is generally proportionate to the amount of kind of fruit that we get out of it. You know, so if I if I'm just pre- presenting, I have a presentation for work or I'm going to give a talk somewhere, um, the more that I'm really going to like hone in on it, the more I'm going to just polish out the, the PowerPoint presentation and choose all the right words and just really like work from a script, the more powerful, beneficial it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I have a charism of teaching, for instance, then, you know, I can put in very little effort <laughs> and preparation and it's just, it's actually going to be even more powerful than it. So charisms, they're not, they're not like a get out of jail free card to just, you know, to like be slacker and not to prepare. (laughs) But in some ways it is kind of like, you know, I mean, when we do our work, because charisms are fueled by our intimacy with the Lord, Mm -hmm. you know, so John the cross uses the image of a fire, you know, and he says like, if we're the logs, if we're on the fire, we're going to be burning. We're going to just be ablaze. But you take that log off the fire and it'll it'll have a flame for a bit, but eventually it's really going to die out, you know. And so charisms are, are like that in that when we have that vibrant prayer life, when we're investing in our relationship with the Lord, when we're faithful to our state of life, to our vocation, then we can expect our charisms to be um, more powerful, to be more vibrant and more alive, Versus as we start to kind of like get pulled away or distracted or um, just not invest in our relationship with the Lord so much, we can expect to see our charisms diminish. So it's not that they ever go away Mm -hmm. or that we ever get new charisms, but like I said, they're given at baptism and they're going to, they're going to show up more powerfully, one, as we're intimate with the Lord, and then two, in the face of a need. So when the community has a need for a charism, that's when what maybe latent charisms are going to start to glow. Okay. So that brings up a question that I just thought of as you were speaking. So if we receive our charisms at the time of our baptism, in the case of an adult that comes into the church through RCIA at Easter, so then does that mean that that 35-year-old man that comes in this Easter would have his charisms given to him at that moment. And maybe until that point, all of those gifts that God had in store for him were waiting and they were activated at the moment of baptism. It's such a great question. I love it. Um, I think what may be helpful in, in thinking about this is thinking about, you know, like what do we actually receive at baptism? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we become adopted sons and daughters of the most high living God. Mm -hmm. Right. So does that mean that God didn't love us before baptism? No, of course not. He loved us exquisitely. You know, he dreamt of us from all eternity. So there's still the love there and he's still going to be giving us grace in our lives, but we haven't actually been adopted as sons and daughters until baptism. So we think of charisms, it's similar in that, you know, um, he, he still loves us. We still have gifts. Um, but the teaching of, you know, of the church is really that charisms are bestowed upon baptism. And so what's really beautiful, though, is that, of course, 
Lord, being who he is, can transcend space and time. And so when you look at the 35-year-old man who comes into the church, you know, there may actually be some evidence that there was a charism present and active prior to baptism. So this is where it gets a little mind bending, you know, where I think, again, I've, I've just listened to, so part of the, the Castro Siena Institute who puts on these, these workshops called Calling Gifted, um, the first part is you go through the initial workshop, and then the second part is you meet one-on-one with a trained interviewer. And then the two of you really do kind of roll your sleeves up, you're in the trenches, and you're looking at cases case story by story in your life where you feel that there may have been a charism active and so having sat with people just hundreds of people through these you know i'm thinking of one woman right now who i did interview who she she um i think she was baptized as an adult but she was telling me these different stories that had happened prior to her baptism and she said even when she was far from the lord it wasn't even that she was you know she was very much turned off by anything religious, but it seemed like there was the stuff of charisms present in these different stories. And so it's it's kind of mysterious really how it all works. But again, the Lord, He's not He's not confined by space or time. Mm-hmm. And so there are situations in which He's just gonna raise rise up someone who 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 He desires, you know, to fill a need for the community at that time. So the good news is we as human beings are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. I'm curious. I'm kind of a personality type junkie, like the Myers-Briggs <laughs> and all that. Yes. Have you yes. seen any sort of overlap with someone who <laughs> tends toward extroversion? Let's see, say they're an ENTJ or something right. like that. That maybe right. that person would more naturally maybe fall into a category of having ABC charism versus an introvert who's more intuitive is going to probably more likely have these things? Or is it all pretty random? You know, it's it's such a fun question. And I think this is where, you know, I just can imagine like God upstairs just laughing at it <laughs> because we have identified no pattern or correlation to personality with charisms. Really? You know, and I actually just recently heard that the majority, the vast majority actually of public speakers are strong introverts, you know? Wow. So, yeah, it's 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 really interesting to think of it, but I've seen no studies done mm-hmm. um, about a correlation, and I would expect there to not be a correlation because, again, God just he kind of kind of does what he wants, you know. And I think it's if if anything, I would guess that it is kind of the opposite of what we would expect, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I think his glory shines forth all the more when it's so clearly, like personally, you know, I'm like I'm flying around the country doing these different um, talks and workshops and and um, retreats. And I, given the choice, would stay home curled up in a ball with a book any day. You know, like sure. I don't like the limelight. I don't like attention. I really don't like, you know, being in front of people. But I've felt that this is, you know, this is something that the Lord is um, – he's gifted me with this charism and with charisms, you know, comes a call to use them to be good stewards. And so um, I think if anything, like I said, it's just this, you know, this, (laughs) that his glory shines forth all the the brighter when it's kind of opposed to what our natural tendencies would be. 
Yeah, I I see that definitely playing out in my own life. And I think that also ties in beautifully with the whole concept that we have in Catholic theology that grace builds on nature. And nature is what God has given us in the first place. And so he's not going to there was this quote on the St. Catherine of Siena Institute that I loved that I sent you when it, I think it must have been from Sherry, do you pronounce it Waddell? Right. Yep. She had written about Let's see. No one goes to bed a happily married administrator and wakes right. up in the morning as a celibate exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> that these charisms that we've been given are never going to, we're not going to get a new one all of a sudden. They've been given to us from the moment of baptism and God's not going to change his mind and say, oh, actually, I screwed up. I actually want you to do this now. Right. Right. Again, it's such a great quote, you know, uh, celibate exorcist. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So absolutely. So again, we would say that they are given at baptism and they don't change. So when you're baptized, most people receive somewhere between two and five charisms. Um, and so you, you get those at baptism. So we wouldn't expect like all of a sudden you turn 46 and bing, there arrives another charism. Mm-hmm. However, what can happen is that charisms can be latent. They can be like late bloomers, so to speak. And so one of my um, teaching partners, he actually has just discerned, he's he's probably mid-40s, and he's just discerned a new charism in his life. And he's somebody who, again, like he's trained in this, this is what he does, you know, he teaches on these things, and he's just becoming aware of a new charism. And so the we're not saying that it wasn't there before, but that maybe like so certainly maybe there were signs of it, but he just was kind of tucking those those signs under the umbrella of a different charism, mm-hmm. you know, um, or and or it could also be that they're just finally like the need is is has arisen within his community for this charism, and so what was a latent charism is now coming to fruition. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think so, that that's yeah. really helpful for us to keep in mind that maybe the time just isn't right. That same for the person who thinks that they're called to marriage, but that person that God wants them to marry has not appeared in their life yet. And so mm-hmm. while that vocation is still there, the person has not entered into their life yet. And that's why they have not been able to enter into that vocation yet. Is that yeah. a fair analogy? It's a great analogy, I think. And the other thing um, along those lines, I would say, is that we can have what we call temporary gifts. So temporary gifts juxtaposed to charisms. Charisms are long-term. You know, they can be developed because they're long-term, you know. Um, so we can we can hone a charism. We can, we can practice it. We can get more experience with it. And we can become more powerful in our charisms with all of that. Um, Versus a, a short-term gift is something that just shows up um, without any prior, you know, manifestation of it. And it's just there for the moment. And then it goes away afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for instance, I, I had that happen in my own life when I was just a, a teenager. And I was on a, a Steubenville conference. And um, I just had this overwhelming sense that I needed to 
pray. And there were, I think I maybe shared the story at, at Adele. Yes. But there were just these like faces that came to my mind. And I just instinctively, intuitively knew what I needed to pray for them for. And I'd never met them before. And there was this very, very intense sense of gravity that I needed to pray for them. And so I just poured out my heart, you know, in supplication for them. And then it'd go away and a new face and a new intention. And so that happened and it was confirmed, you know, later that, um, that, that that was real. You know, I saw somebody in real life who I'd seen in my mind, you know, and, and they said that they received the graces, the exact graces I had prayed for, which again, I think was just so kind of the Lord to show me that I wasn't going crazy, <laughs> but to give me confirmation <laughs> that this was real. Uh-huh. But that has not happened. That never happened before. And that has never happened since. You know, so that would fall under the category of a short-term gift versus if that were a long-term charism, we would expect that to to happen repeatedly over and over and over again. Okay. So how, let's say someone's interested in figuring out what their charisms are. How do they go about figuring out what they are in a good way? That's not going to lead them astray. Yeah, I think, you know, there are there are different ways to do it, definitely. I think the most maybe, like, clean, systematic way um, is through the Catherine of Siena Institute, at least that I'm aware of. So, again, I don't think that's the only way, but I think it's a great way. So, what that includes is you just, um, you attend a one-day workshop. It's just a Saturday, I think, from, like, 9 to 4. Um, or you can order the CDs online and just listen to the talks. And then in there is an inventory. <clears throat> excuse me so you you fill out the inventory it's just over 100 questions and then from there you score it and you take your top six scores and that's when and in my opinion the most crucial part of the process is when you meet with your trained interviewer one-on-one so that can be done over the phone if you don't have any local or if you're blessed to have someone locally then you can do it in person but what you do is you meet and you just discuss those top six scores. So Mm -hmm. as an interviewer, as we sit down, first of all, you know, we'd start with a prayer and then I'd say, okay, why don't you tell me about your prayer life? So what I'm assessing for is, is this what we'd call an intentional disciple? Is this somebody who's, who personally knows the Lord, who's invested in their relationship with him? Because if they're not, then we would expect there to be little to no evidence of charisms present. And hmm. so you can't discern a charism if it's not manifesting. So then the conversation becomes, okay, what can we do to help you in your walk with the Lord? Like, how do we get you to that intimacy so that we can then begin to start to discern charisms? Wow. You know? And so if they say, you know, they have a pretty robust prayer life, and that can look, you know, depending on state of life, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, like homeschooling, you're not going to have necessarily a ton of time to pray or, you know, like a very demanding career, but you do what you can, Mm -hmm. you know, like charisms absolutely can and are still manifesting, you know, so you don't have to be this contemplative monk or nun (laughs) to have charisms. Um, So then after we talk about the prayer life, then I say, okay, so it looks like you scored high on, you know, hospitality and on um, helps and on administration and service. So why don't you tell me about a time when you feel like you're exercising, like, hospitality? Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do you like to throw parties? Are you the one who bakes the birthday cakes? Are you, you know, like, just tell me about that. 
so what's so beautiful is as interviewers, we get to hear these so profoundly um, inspired stories, you know, of just the ways that the Lord has used people. And the thing that I think is <laughs> somewhat um, maybe one of the most rewarding things about this grace of being an interviewer is so many times it's the person's strongest charism that's just glaring. It's just so powerful that they are most oblivious to Mm -hmm. because it's like telling a fish that they live in water. They're like, water, water doesn't exist. What are you talking about? They've never known life without it. And so they think it's so common. They don't think it's a gift at all. But as you know, we're able to shed some light on that's not normal, you know, (laughs) but that is not normal. Um, Start to, you know, just to laugh and to realize there's this watershed moment of, oh my gosh, really? Mm -hmm. Like that's a gift. I always like kind of got annoyed by that. You know, for instance, there's a charism of encouragement, which it's just like these people, they have this sign written on their forehead that's come talk to me, you know? And so they'll they'll be in the grocery store just buying milk and three hours later they come home because they got (laughs) stopped by six people who just complete strangers who wanted to tell them their life story. You know, I mean, this really happens. And so... Oftentimes, yeah, one of our, some of our strongest charisms are what we're most oblivious to. And so discerning this can be very helpful because then we have a box sort of to like, to put it in, in a way to conceptualize like, oh, it's okay that it takes me three hours to get milk because I'm actually like doing the Lord's work. And so I don't have to feel so guilty about not doing a daily holy hour because I'm out here like ministering to the Lord and his people you know, in the world, that doesn't mean I should neglect my prayer life, but it does mean that I don't have to feel guilty about not being in church 24-7. Oh, Angie, I think everyone needs to hear what you just said on repeat for the rest of their lives, because (laughs) that is exactly why we're having this conversation today, that once we figure out how God uniquely created us to set the world on fire, like St. Catherine of Siena said, then that's exactly what we're going to do. When we figure out how he's done that and learn more about these unique charisms that he's given to us specifically as individuals, not as just the big group of the church, then that's when we can really activate their full potential and call on the Holy Spirit and say, now I'm free from the guilt of not doing all of these other things that I thought I should, the quote, should do. And now I'm going to do what you've actually asked me to. Right. Absolutely. I just think of this one woman who um, we were interviewing and she, you know, we're discerning a charism of intercessory prayer. So these people are called above and beyond what the norm as Christians, what we're called to. And and they just, they love it. They love to pray and their prayers are so powerful. And she was discerning this charism and, you know, the feedback given to her was, you know, I just, I'm not hearing evidence for this charism, you know, and she had tears in her eyes and she just said, oh, thank God. Like, (laughs) I'm so grateful. You know, she said, does this mean I don't have to be part of the prayer chain anymore? Mm -hmm. She said it like, it wounds her heart to hear these horrible stories of great pain that people like are desperately calling in for prayer for you know and so if that's your sense again negative knowledge is such a powerful thing and so being set free of all these shoulds like you said i like to say like the enemy like should all over me (laughs) (laughs) because it's just it's such a trap it's such a trap to think oh well i should be doing this and i should be doing that and look at that person i should be like that it is such a trap you know and so 
one thing that St. Ignatius of Loyola, like the church is really, he's, he gave the church such a gift of discernment. Mm-hmm. You know, what is of the Lord? What is not? He said, whatever brings you peace and joy and freedom is of the Holy Spirit. And whatever brings you fear, anxiety, despair is of the evil spirit, you know? And mm-hmm. so these shoulds, what do they bring? They bring anxiety, you yeah. know, that is not of the Lord. He, he, he Scripture says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so as we discern our charisms, we start to see, like like I said, as an introvert, I'm doing all this public speaking, and before and after is cringe, mm-hmm. just total cringe, you know, um, because charisms, they're like, we have to discern them in the moment, not the before, not the after experience, but the during. So oh. while I'm while I'm speaking... I love it. Like, I feel the Spirit of the Lord upon me, you know? And there's sometimes when I say things and I want to take notes because I'm like, wow, God, that was really good. (laughs) You say that again? Uh You know, it's almost like I'm receiving at the same time, you know, that he's using me as the instrument. And I've heard so many priests say the same thing in confession where they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to say to this person. Lord, you have to help me. And then they just start talking and these beautiful pearls of wisdom come out. And they're thinking, wow, that like, that's so helpful. I need to do that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's so, it's so helpful just to know what your charisms are and what they're not. And then that freezes us up so that when we get the phone call of, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Can you help here? Can you help there? You know, we really do have the freedom to say no, you know, like I'm just, that's not something I can do because I think it was C.S. Lewis who says, um, you know, if the enemy can't do us, can't get us to do evil, He'll get us to do too much good. Mm. And so we'll be weakened by it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're running around doing too much, it gets our efforts get diluted and we get burnt out. And then we get angry at the Lord because we're burnt out, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by discerning our charisms, we really get to say, you know what? Um, that's not something I feel called to. Or, you know, we can say, you know, if you want my results, I'm happy to do that for you if I have the time. But if you want God's results, maybe you should ask so-and-so who actually has a charism in that area, you know? Yeah. Um, So it's just been, you know, as a a leader in my own community, my own faith community, I've been blessed to have so many people go through called and gifted. And so I really know who to call up for different requests. You know, sure. so somebody with hospitality, I'm going to ask them to set the space up and to really be part of that welcoming committee. And somebody with, you know, um, craftsmanship, I'll have them cook the meal, you know, or somebody with evangelism, I'm going to have them giving the talks. Somebody with encouragement will be, you know, like on duty to like just be, just to be there and other people will seek them out. As an interviewer, have you ever seen people struggle with the temptation to fill out that questionnaire with all of the questions to try and figure out what their charisms are, trying to fill it out from the place of, these are the things that I wish I had? Like, (laughs) as you fill out these traditional personality type inventories, like a Myers-Briggs, for example, Mm -hmm. when I was growing up, I thought to be successful in life, I was supposed to be an extrovert, and I was supposed to be all of these other things. And do you see people struggling with that in the same way with this questionnaire? Or has that not been an issue? It's another really great question. Um, If I could say it this way, just with, you know, like with reverence, um, I think oftentimes what will happen 
is that when people, um, I'm just trying to think how to say this. Um, when people are, maybe are more so in the infancy or the beginning stages of their walk with the Lord, there tends to be, I mean, we tend to be more willful, right? Mm. I think like growing in holiness and in sanctity is more and more like a relinquishing of the will and just surrendering. Like, Lord, you got this. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to lead me, wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. That's where I want to be. So it, it, there's this relinquishing of like the ideal self or the ideal, you know, way that we, we present to the world. Mm-hmm. And there's more and more this walk of poverty of, okay, Lord, I'm nothing without you. And I know that I know that I know that I can't do it without you, <laughs> you know. And so I think when people are maybe more in that beginning stage, there's more of that mm-hmm. where it's like, I really wish I had this or sure. Yeah, I totally have that. You know, and then as people grow with their relationship with the Lord, the more that they're able, the more self-knowledge that we have, you know, the more that we're able just to say, you know what, I wish, like personally, I can say, I wish I had that charism and that one and that one. Mm -hmm. But it is so clear that I do not, you know what, and God has a plan. Like maybe if I had those charisms that I would love to have, I would be so prideful, you know, like, Mm -hmm. or so self-reliant, you know, but, um, so, yes, I have absolutely interviewed people, especially extroverts, <laughs> who just, they score like 10 out of 10 on all of the charisms, you wow. know, yeah. and like, unless you're Jesus, I don't think that you have all of these. <laughs> and some people have been able to like take the feedback of, you know, I'm just, I'm not hearing evidence for those charisms and others aren't, you know. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, you bring up a good point that it just does, it takes simplicity and humility to really be able to discern you know, because mm-hmm. um, I know when I first started this, I was dead set on having the charism of encouragement, mm-hmm. you know, where people can just seek you out and you're so comforting. And I'm a counselor. Like, I should have this charism, <laughs> you know, the should. There uh-huh. it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And I do not. I have, like, the antithesis of the charism of encouragement. <laughs> like, I just, I'm more like, matter of fact, on my aptitude test in high school, I scored I should be a drill sergeant, you know, mm-hmm. like, that is not the encourager. But, um, the more that, you know, we're able to just to, to live in reality, like, do I actually see the signs of this charism or not? I think the more freeing it, it really is. Yeah. And I think that ties in nicely with the whole question of then you have the interview part where you sit down with the person who's filled out the questionnaire and you have the results in front of you. But the person says, I really don't like these charisms that this questionnaire says I have. Then at that point, How do you encourage that person with working with what it looks like God has given them? And maybe this this is a place where I can ask you personally, when you started to learn about your own charisms, were there any where you thought, oh, you know, I I really don't like this one about myself. You were already kind of just talking about it where you said in your (laughs) aptitude test, you tested as a drill sergeant. But if you in the beginning disliked a charism, how did you grow to appreciate it? Or how have you helped others to grow to appreciate their own? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for, for people who do find themselves, you know, with the, it would appear that they do have a charism that they really wish they did not. Oftentimes, interestingly enough, it's a charism of healing where they have these amazing abilities just to heal. The Lord just heals people through them. 
you know, which I would, I mean, I would line up for that one, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be fantastic. Or, um, actually the most common one though, that I see is it's called discernment of spirits. And that's where people are aware of these supernatural entities. So they're just more aware of the presence of good or evil. And as you can imagine, it can be very frightening for people to have this sense of, oh my gosh, like there's, there's evil here, Mm. you know, um, especially when everyone else is just kind of oblivious to it. And so many times people have told me, I, you know, I told, I told my friend or I told my, my parent or I told somebody about this and they just looked at me like I was crazy and now I'm the butt of the jokes. Yeah. You know, so there can absolutely be a deep wounding that can happen, you know, in, in the realm like of charisms. And it's not, of course, cause like God wounds us through charisms, but through how we've perceived them or what other people have said or done, so um, with charisms that we, we may likely have that we wish we didn't, I think it's just a great opportunity really to take it to the Lord. And I'm a big, big proponent of just telling people, state the obvious. Just tell the Lord the obvious. Like, Lord, I, why would you give this to me? Like, I'm, I'm so angry and I'm hurt and this has brought me nothing but trouble. And you say that this is good? You know, so just really being very honest with the Lord and then letting him speak to your heart. You know, mm-hmm. so I've walked with so many people, like I said, with this discernment of spirits charism, or there's another one, the faith charism. That one's just really amazing. Um, and and little by little, as each of these little woundings are healed, they start to be set free and they start to see that this is the pearl of great price in their life. And, you know, we, we started this conversation by talking about spiritual warfare. And so coming full circle, the enemy knows, you know, he knows where we're most gifted and he knows where we're most destined to, to set the world on fire. And we better believe that that's exactly where he's going to attack us, Yeah, you know? And so Ignatius of Loyola, he talks about in his rules of discernment that, you know, like if you, he uses the medieval, um, image of a castle with a protective wall around it. And he said, the enemy, if it wants to attack, it's going to send out scouts ahead of time to see where the, the, the break in the wall is, where they're most vulnerable. You know, and he says that our enemy does the same thing. He sets out scouts and he sees where we're most vulnerable and that's where he's going to attack. And so what's helpful about that, kind of turning it on its head, is that as we pay attention to kind of where we feel attacked, where we feel weak, then we can take that to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, heal this, you know? Um, And then that most often, I think, becomes our area of greatest strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's definitely the case. On the flip side of that, if I can be so bold as to ask, I have noticed in some circles that there might be a tendency to over-spiritualize and try to claim a charism for oneself that maybe is not there. For example, Mm -hmm. the speaking in tongues I have seen happen in some circles. And I know that in sacred scripture, speaking in tongues is mentioned and that that is a gift that God can give to us. Is that something that you would consider a specific charism or how do we know when something that's happening in front of us is, is a legitimate charism. And how do we know with speaking in tongues, if it's a legit legitimate gift that God has given that person, or if that person does not have that gift from God? Right. Yeah. Again, it's a great question. Um, 
And so through the Catherine of Siena Institute, we do not have tongues as one of the charisms. Um, we would more so classify it under like a spiritual gift. Um, and so with charisms, they're always for the sake of others, you know. And with tongues, when we receive it, it's a beautiful gift of the Lord. When it's authentic, it's a very beautiful gift. You know, Scripture says, you know, like when we can't pray on our behalf, the Spirit will pray in us with groans, you know, indiscernible groans. And I think, you know, tongues can fall under that. So um, when we, and, and tongues can be for ourselves, you know, or they can be for the community. Um so, you know, when, when any spiritual gift, whether it's tongues or whether it's, a, you know, whatever it is, um, is misused or abused or, you know, it's, there's kind of the sense of, oh, see, I have it. I have this gift, therefore I'm special, or therefore I can dictate what needs to happen. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, that, that, that's very detrimental to the community. You know, and so I think one thing that's very, I think, comforting with charisms is that they cannot be used for evil. Mm. So I find that very comforting because I know as a poor, wounded sinner that I am, like I have a, tr- I have a great tendency toward pride and toward vanity and like, oh, what did they think and how can I look good, you know, and all of that. And what's really comforting to me is that <laughs> whenever I've tried to use this speaking, this teaching charism for my own glory, I fall so hard, so fast. <laughs> it is pain, it is brutally painful, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I feel like that's just such a gift of the Lord because he kind of has us on this choke collar where it's like, oh, you want to use that for yourself? Well, then I'll, I'll let you to your own devices. Good luck with that. Tell me how that works out, yeah. you know. Um, so that's really comforting about charisms. But, you know, in the realm of tongues, um, since it's not a charism, it's, it's a spiritual gift, you know, again, I think I go back to St. Ignatius and he says, whatever is, you know, whatever brings you peace and joy and freedom, that's a sign of the good spirit of the Holy Spirit. Whatever brings you fear, anxiety, whatever is like divisive, these are things not of the Lord. So I think we were called to a deeper maturity to be able to discern when other people are are, are utilizing these quote-unquote gifts, what is my internal response? You Mm -hmm. know, it's called the sense of the faithful. And usually when when there's truth or goodness or beauty being spoken, our hearts sing. We know it, you know, but when there's not that, when there's either a feeling of dread or you know, darkness, or even just mute, like our hearts are just mute, that's usually a sign that that's really not of the Lord. Yeah, those are really helpful, just general guidelines moving forward when you encounter something that, like with the moments where I've been in situations where I've encountered someone who claims that they have the gift of speaking in tongues, and I've felt this fear or dread or anxiety that affirms for me that maybe that was not a moment where I was encountering someone with a gift that was from the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, and I think if we want to go a little bit deeper in the discernment realm is, you know, I think it's always helpful just to take it to prayer and just to say, Lord, again, state the obvious, like when this person was speaking in tongues, this was my internal response. You know, is there something in me, like have I you know, been wounded or had a bad experience before with an abuse of power by someone using tongues. And so now I have this internal response. Mm. Like, so it's, it is always possible, you know, I think that, that it could be our own filter, you know, um, 
And that's why I think it's really helpful just to take it to the Lord because I think he's very quick to show us like, yeah, that's, that's you. And actually I, I let this happen. I let you have this response in the situation because I wanted to bring it to your awareness so that I can heal it, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, you take it to the Lord and you're saying, this was my response. And he's like, yeah, good job paying attention to that. And now with this information, like know that maybe that's not the group for you. Or maybe, you know, you need to pray for that person. Or maybe you need to have a conversation with one of the leaders in the community and just to say, you know, I just, I have this concern, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really great practical advice. I appreciate that. Well, I just have one more question before I want to get to some fun closers. Each of us, like you were just saying, in our woundedness as human beings, we have ways that we self-sabotage and we stop our own charisms that God's given us from affecting meaningful change. What ways do you see <laughs> right. people doing that in their own lives? Or maybe you can speak from your own personal experience and how sure. do we combat that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can speak from, I'm, I'm an expert in self-sabotage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that was still the best of us um Mm -hmm. I just remember so the speaking one that's one that like that's so easy an example for me um Mm -hmm. I remember I was asked so again charisms it's kind of like they're written on our forehead like people just know they just know what they are whether they're Christians or not they just know what our charisms are it's amazing even when we don't you know so we tend to get requests in the field of our charism. So mm-hmm. like with a teaching charism, you know, I've been asked to do retreats. And when I was first starting off with this, you know, I was very, I was very honored to be asked and whatever. And I had, had taken it to the Lord as an adoration, like two, three months before this particular retreat. And, you know, Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to say? What do you want to be said? And, and I, I felt like I got this great message and my heart was just on fire. And it was just like, oh, yes, this is it. This is so great. Like, you know, beautiful. And then the day of the retreat, literally the day of the retreat, all of my insecurities were just flaring up, you know, talking mm-hmm. about like spiritual warfare, but then also just our own natural personal insecurity stuff. And so I was like, oh, that's so stupid, that message. I can't go in front of them and say that. They're going to think I'm like, whatever, you know. And so I rewrote the whole retreat, all of the talks oh, wow. in like 30 minutes and And then I delivered it and it was painful. It was not like the Lord was, I think, very merciful with me because he knew my heart was in the right place. Mm -hmm. But um, it just, it was not that good. It really wasn't. He was able to bring some fruit out of it. But um, I think especially like that's probably something an introvert is going to be more prone to, to Mm -hmm. doing something like that. It's like last minute, I can't trust this. I have to like rely on myself. And so I'm going to make this other thing happen, you know? Yeah. Um, Yes, I do. But (laughs) (laughs) it's such a trap. And and then juxtapose that, you know, the talks where I've just like, remember this one, I I was giving a women's, a women's talk and um, I had this beautiful PowerPoint, you know, all set up and all the right words and blah, blah, blah. And then the the morning of, you know, I just had this strong conviction that the Lord was like, no, that is not the message. 
And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, but I haven't, I, I put so much work into it. I'm so beautiful. And it would look really good, God. I would look really good, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And, then, and then I was just like, oh, I always think of the rich young ruler who went away sad. Mm. You know, the Lord's like, go sell what you have, give support and come follow me. And he went away sad. And I don't want to be that, mm-hmm. you know? So I was like, okay, God, give me the grace to be faithful to you in this because this is really challenging. And so he gave me this, the message that I really felt convinced did he wanted me to give and part of me is like oh is this just me sabotaging myself again changing the message last minute you know mm-hmm. but they're just like lord you got to do it because clearly i'm a basket case and you <laughs> have to work with this so good luck i'm trying here so i i went and i just i delivered what i felt like you know he he wanted me to and just the fruit was just like out of this world. It was just so beautiful mm. and so many like just so many great, you know, testimonies. And so I think when we can get out of the way from our yeah. own willfulness and our own pride, you know, I think that's when really, you know, the fruit of the Lord is going to be most, most strong. So with other people, you know, what I've heard again is um, I think that is the theme I see, though, is just when there's this like this willfulness, this self-reliance. And this sense of I need to appear, quote unquote, holy, mm-hmm. like, or have it together. I think that's the stuff that most stifles charisms. But when we can just walk in vulnerability, and usually if it's a little bit freaky, <laughs> you know, like there's the good freaky and the bad freaky, yes. if you know what I mean by that. <laughs> I do. Yes. <laughs> so learning to get comfortable with the good freaky, I think that is... <laughs> such a technical term right sorry um but you know like that is when i that's that's come to be my litmus test when i know that i'm in the will of god is when i'm with the the good freaky yeah because <laughs> no, relying on perfect him. <laughs> yeah exactly it's exactly what you were talking about earlier with the walk of poverty that it's right. when you sit down with someone who is maybe struggling a little more with pride not that i would speak from experience from this at all <laughs> but that you have more of that willfulness that you have your own agenda, you're not ready to surrender to what God has in store for you, which ultimately is going to be what's best for you. But just getting out of the way. And like you just said, I need to put this on a t shirt, get comfortable with the good freaky. Because <laughs> that's where the right. growth and the good stuff happens. I think it really is. He just ultimately, he doesn't need us. He doesn't, you know, I mean, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't, right. But he chose he chooses to use us. And I think, you know, I really believe this, and this is this is Teresa Avila all the way. She says God will not choose to save souls like at the expense of your own. Ooh. So these these leaders who, and I've totally been guilty of this. You know, when it's like, ah, oh, I know that I'm getting destroyed, but it's all for the sake of your kingdom, Lord. I'll save more souls. It's a very subtle form of pride, yes. and you know, and so to realize, like, no, I mean, and so this is so many times the trap that I think, especially people in in ministry, or just who are trying to live an authentic, holy life, we get pulled into is that it's like, well, I, I don't have time to pray because I have all these other things I need to do. I need to make the cookies for the kids, you know, whatever, or I need to, whatever it is. So I think it's just like, if I could leave you with, you know, the takeaway would be invest in your spiritual life. You have 15 minutes a day that you can pray. You can open up the scripture, do some Lexio Divina, just let the living Lord speak to your heart. Even just 15 minutes a day is enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and not giving into the shoulds, 
but um, just really living out of that sense of freedom because the Lord who I've come to know and to love and, and to believe in, he oftentimes is very unexpected. Like the things that he does, I'm like, Jesus, that's very un-Jesusian of you. What are you saying? <laughs> you know, like you should not be saying that to me. <laughs> and and he does. He's very surprising, you know. Um he's Which not is so he doesn't... frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> and a little freaky. Like, yeah, well, yeah. are you sure? Are you sure? You know. So it's a good freaky, uh, but it doesn't always feel like good. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's what we need to pray to discern this. Is this the good freaky or the bad freaky? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that's the perfect closer. And your quote from St. Teresa of Avila, she's one of my favorites, but that whole idea of God is not going to try to save souls at the expense of your own. Yes. That is a gut punch right there. Because you think, especially as women, we try to make our entire lives about we're just giving, 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 giving without taking into account what am I needing to do to protect and safeguard my heart, my soul that God has given me so that I can truly serve from a place of overflow. Because that's what true ministry is, right? I think that's it. Yeah, I just, I love that. And there's, I just have to leave you too with this book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Way of Imperfection. And it's everything that we've been talking about with like getting rid of the pride and the self-reliance and this holy masquerade that we can have of, well, see, I, I'm really doing this for the Lord, you know, and he yes. just, the priest who writes it, he just really calls us out and he says, you're not doing it for the Lord. Oh. <laughs> you know, you're doing it for yourself. Let's be honest. Like you're just, it's no different than anyone else seeking pride. Like you, it's in some ways it's almost worse because you're using the holy to like idolize yourself. You know, and so it's talking about a gut punch, you know, Um, it's it's just this beautifully profound, um, really totally in line. He quotes John on the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Teresa Lisieux, you know, and it's it's so it's it's a playoff of Teresa of Avila's the way of perfection, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but it's really talking about how the the ascent of Mount Carmel is actually a descent. It's a descent into the truth of who we are, that we're miserable sinners, exquisitely loved by God. Oh, wow. Okay, that is going to be my Lenten read for this year. It's official. Who is the author of The Way of Imperfection? It is uh, Andre, and I, I'm i going to butcher the name, so I'm not even going to try it, but I can spell it for you. This is a safe <laughs> space. You're good. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's D-A-I-G-N-E-A-U-L-T. So I think he's a French-Canadian priest. Okay, yeah, now I know why you didn't want to to pronounce it (laughs) (laughs) oh it's gold every word is just gold oh it sounds amazing (laughs) i needed that title in my life so this came at the perfect time for me so thank you for that well angie this has been awesome before i let you go how can listeners get in touch with you and where should i send them to learn more about charisms Right. So absolutely. Um, CharismSiena.org, S-I-E-N-A. That's the Catherine of Siena website. And the workshop we're talking about is called and gifted. So I highly recommend that. I think that one, that's just really powerful. And again, if you don't have a workshop in your area, which the website will have a list of workshops um, coming up across the country, then you can also just order the CDs online. And those are actually really great too. And then you can schedule the interview over the phone, you know, or just call them and say, are there any interviewers locally that I can meet with? 
Um, and then as far as me right now, I am still just working on getting licensed as a marriage family therapist. I'm kind of in residency, so I'm keeping kind of a low profile. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, feel free to reach out um, just my email address. Uh, so it's Angela Marie Newman. And Newman is the German spelling. So it's N-E-U-M-A-N-N at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, Angie, thank you so much for giving so generously of your time. I know I gained so much wisdom and insight from charisms and the gifts that God has given us. So I know it will be a blessing for our listeners. And thank you for that book recommendation as well. I can't wait to read it and then circle back and let you know what I thought of it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. It was such a treat to get to talk with Angie and Angie, I wanted to let you know if you are listening to this podcast, I did start reading The Way of Imperfection a couple of weeks ago. I'm about halfway into it and it is everything you said it was and it has been a total gut punch. (laughs) And I mean that in the best possible way. So thanks again for that book recommendation. I'm looking forward to finishing it but I'm really enjoying it so far. So listeners, if you're looking for a good Lenten read to finish out your Lenten season and you're looking for a little inspiration, consider reading The Way of Imperfection. I really enjoyed it. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Listeners, I have a little bit of homework for you. I need your help with my meal planning. I have enjoyed our instant pot, but I am looking for some new recipes. And I will share my favorite instant pot recipe in the show notes. It's a creamy Thai coconut chicken soup. And if you like spicy, I definitely recommend it. If you don't, definitely tame down the spice level on this one. But it's been a family favorite around here. But I want to hear from you. What are your favorite instant pot recipes so that I can uh, expand my instant pot repertoire? Please email me your favorite recipes at podcast at katherineboucher.com or as always, you can find me on Facebook or on Instagram. You can find all the links and resources to everything I mentioned in this episode in the show notes for episode 10, and that's over at katherineboucher.com. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding. <laughs>